John chapter 5, verses 1 to 18. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is in Aramaic, is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defence, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your words. We thank you for everything that they, that they are filled with of the life that we have access to through, through hearing them and responding. And so, Lord, we pray that that is what would happen tonight as we hear your word from John 5. We pray that we would respond as you call to us, as you speak to us in a way that, that pleases you, that honors you, and that glorifies Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. Now, some of you might already know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fan of Lord of the Rings. In fact, you might say so much of a fan that my key ring is, in fact, the one ring. There it is. There it is, my precious... But it took me a while to kind of warm up to these books, and I I recognize that they're not really everybody's cup of tea. Um, I think some people read them and find them quite slow, because the characters in the book are on this incredibly important mission with the entire world at stake, and yet, very often, they just stop on the journey. They, They stop, and they have a bath. They stop and they have a meal, they stop for about a month, they stop to sing songs to each other, they stop to grieve loved ones, they stop sometimes to just enjoy the scenery. And when I first read the books, I was much younger and I I was quite impatient with these kind of rest parts, I found them quite dull, and I didn't really see what 
what are they adding to this story? Can't they just push on with the quest and throw the ring into Mount Doom and be done with it? This time I'm reading it again, and this time I think I'm appreciating more uh, what's going on there. I, I think Tolkien, the author, is quite a sharp observer of life. If you watch the film adaptations of the books, they're never quite as good, obviously. And one of the things that is different is that they will skip over these rest parts. They might have a bit of it, but generally they'll focus on the action, on the bits where the plot is being moved directly forward. And I think in life, many of us probably are quite prone to take the the film adaptation way to live and to not find time to stop and rest. We have this kind of innate desire to, to do something, to push on, to be productive, to be busy, so we carry on with the quest, whatever our quest is, and we fill our time with as much activity as possible. And when it's time to rest, we don't really focus on it. We don't really stop and be present in it. We consider rest time to be kind of a waste of time, something that, that hinders our work. And I think we all on some level know that that's not a wise way to live, that, that in the end this is only going to lead to burning out. But for the Fellowship of the Ring, rest is a part of the journey. In fact, it enables the journey to go better. It's essential time for, for healing, for refueling, for recovering, for being encouraged to keep on going. And in the Bible, too, rest is a part of the journey. All this talk is, is important, and I'm saying all this, about rest because of when this miracle in John chapter 5 takes place. Chapter 5 verse 1 tells us this is one of the Jewish festivals. It doesn't tell us which. But we've just finished chapter, chapters 2 to 4, which has been this quite long section in John where Jesus has been going through some of the institutions, some of the features of everyday Jewish life, and showing how they point to him, showing how he fulfills everything that they offer, how he delivers what they promise, whether those things are weddings or purification jars or, or sacred wells, that whatever they are, they, they somehow are not enough but Jesus is. Now this chapter, chapter 5, starts a new section in the gospel where he does the same thing, but he does it with the Jewish calendar, with their festivals, with their special days. He shows that what they are about is really him, that they in themselves are not enough to deliver on what they promise, but they point to him who is. Now, he doesn't tell us, John, which festival exactly we're at here, but he does say in verse 9 that the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Now, that that word Sabbath, it's one one of the words in the Bible that isn't translated. It's just transliterated kind of directly from Hebrew. This is a word that means stop and rest. Stop and rest. And this was their most regular special day. Most of their other festivals were annual festivals celebrated once a year. The Sabbath was the weekly 
special day. And so in many ways, it's kind of, of, of an entry point to this, this theme that we're about to begin, where, where Jesus goes through all of the festivals and shows that they're really about him. He's going to take the Sabbath, this day of stopping and resting, and show how it points to himself, show how he is the one that delivers what it speaks of. Now, this miracle itself, it joins a growing list of times in John's Gospel where water is involved, but water is somehow not enough, and yet Jesus is. So in chapter 1, John the Baptist was baptizing with water, and he was saying, this is not enough. You need someone to baptize you with the Spirit to clean you from your sin. You need Jesus to do that for you. Then in chapter 2, there was a wedding in Cana. They needed wine for the celebration, but the purification jars, the rituals of Jewish life were only able to offer water. It wasn't enough, but Jesus was. Then in chapter 4, again, there was a sacred well in Samaria, a special place, but it is nothing next to, as we were singing about, the living water that Jesus gives. And now here in chapter 5, there is this pool that, that is somehow renowned for healing people. But it's not enough to heal this man. Now, we could go in to what this pool was. If you look in the footnote, there's, there's a bit of an explanation of that. We could go in to how it was healing people, to, to what was going on there. But the fact is that whatever it was, it wasn't working for this man that we meet in these verses. can't get in. Whether it works or not, he can't get in to benefit from it. Water is not enough to heal him. But Jesus is. Jesus meets him with, with a simple question. Do you want to get well? And in answer, the man can only tell how he's tried and failed to get well at this pool. But he's so, so weak, perhaps he's paralyzed, we don't know exactly what it is, but he can't get to the pool in time and he has no one to help him. In his mind, this water is his only hope of healing. He is fixed on that as the way out of his troubles. And all he wants from Jesus, all he sees in Jesus is a man who might be able to carry him to that water. Any man could do that. But Jesus isn't just any man. And what this pool couldn't give the man, Jesus gives immediately with a word in verse 8. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your bed and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Now like with what happened in the chapter last week that we were looking at in chapter 4, the, the royal official's son, Jesus, heals with a word. He restores what is broken by speaking. He is the word of God. He is all-powerful. What he says goes in every sense. His words bring health. They restore strength to this man. But last time, the result of that miracle was faith, that the royal official and his family came to believe in Jesus. He saw that this was a sign 
that was not a thing in itself, but a thing that pointed to Jesus. And he started to trust in Jesus. Will that happen with this man today? Well, we'll come back to him soon. But for now, the story sort of turns off in a slightly different direction in verse 9. Because the day that this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man, It's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. This Sabbath healing starts a war over the Sabbath meaning with this man caught in the middle and he has to make a choice of which side he's on. What does the Sabbath mean? Now the Sabbath began when the world began. It's right there if you read Genesis 1 and 2. The Lord created the world in six days and then he rested on the seventh and he laid that down as a pattern. The Lord blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. And ever since that has been the pattern. And so in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, uh, the fourth commandment is this, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That is, keeping it set apart for God. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, but he rested on the seventh Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Sabbath was a weekly festival of stopping and resting. God has built rest into the story of the world. He created in six days, then he rested on the seventh. Now however you're going to interpret that, However, however, literally or not, you're going to take that. That is the pattern that we are given. That is what has been laid down. He rested on the seventh and he blessed the seventh. And he invited us to join him in that seventh day rest. So ever since, rest has become an essential part of the journey of life. You take a long drive in a car, you need to stop, don't you? You can't just keep on driving. Even if you think you can, the car can't. You need to fill up at some point. You need to stop to go to the bathroom, to to stretch your legs, to, to rest your eyes from concentrating on the road. And that rest is is part of the journey. It helps you drive better. It helps you to focus and complete the journey more safely. And it's the same throughout life. Rest time is not wasted time. It's a service station. It's the, the refresh, the refuel. It is woven into the pattern of good work by the God who made good work. It is not an interruption to that pattern. It is part of the pattern. And instinctively we know we need this rest. That whatever rest is, we need it. Whenever you hope for, for a lie in bed, for, for a holiday, for a, a peaceful retirement, it is a longing for rest. 
whenever you send a card saying, get well soon. That is ultimately a Sabbath card. It is a hope about rest, about restoration. Sabbath day is a weekly reminder of our need for rest. It looked back to, to God's satisfaction in, in completing his work of creation. And ever since we turned to sin and, and we corrupted that world, we, we, we destroyed and, and damaged that creation. Ever since then, the Sabbath has also looked forward to a better, more lasting rest in a renewed creation. It's that, that diagram that, that we were thinking about with Julian this morning, that, that it, it started in a time of rest, and then the, there was, there was a, a corruption, a destruction of rest. But the, the long arc of the Bible story is back up again to a restored, everlasting, even better rest. And the Sabbath day was meant to kind of stand between those two moments to remind us of our need for rest, to keep us holding on for that better, that lasting rest, to wait for it to come. But the battle here is between Jesus and the Jewish leaders, and it is over how this Sabbath rest comes. Because they have two very different views on how rest comes. The way of of the leaders of the Jewish community at that time is that Sabbath rest comes when we all keep the Sabbath rules. In other words, it is a self-Sabbath. It is a rest of our own making, a Sabbath that we make by our own efforts to conform to a certain lifestyle. There are a list of do's and don'ts. And Sabbath will only happen when we satisfy all those requirements. Now, it's true that the Bible does map out some of the rules for the Sabbath, but they're they're really more about laying down the burdens of our regular work. Whereas these Jewish leaders had built a whole list of extra rules on top of that, like, like not carrying any burden above your shoulder or not walking more than a certain number of steps. And so when they said, the law forbids you, to carry your mat. That's not really true. It's not really God's law that forbids that. It was their interpretation of the law. It was their system that they had built on top of the law that forbid it, not the law itself. And so while they were while the claim was from them that they were keeping the Sabbath holy so that we can all rest better, in reality that probably wasn't the experience of this man, was it? Really, they were just bullying him to follow a certain lifestyle. This man had probably never had a more restful Sabbath than in that moment when Jesus said, get up, and he felt able to get up. He'd probably never felt more rested in the last 38 years of his life. But they come in with this self-Sabbath and it it makes him feel condemned, not rested. 
Rest becomes something that we strive for but never arrive at. And I think while we might read this and think, well, that's quite alien from where we're at. Because our, our approach to rest is very different. But actually, perhaps we're not as far from these guys as it first seems. When we think about rest, we still very often come to it through the question of, what must I do in order to feel rested? What must I do to get to this point where I feel rested? Do I need to work nonstop at this high-intensity job to get enough money, for, do that for a few decades, and then I can retire into this rest? Is that what I need to do to get rest? Do I need to exercise well so that, and throw myself into that so that I'm healthy, so that I live long, so that I can feel rested? Do I need to fill my time off with all kinds of activities to, to find that feeling of, of peace, of contentment, of being refreshed? Is that what's going to do it? We come at rest through this attitude of what must I do to feel rested? And if we're not careful, we can become very like these, these leaders and start to push that onto others. To, to pressure others to follow our ways and say, this is what you need to do. If you want to feel rested, you want to, to feel contented and at peace and calm, here's what you need to do to, to throw that onto other people. And we can get, just like these guys are, we can be blinded to what God's really doing. Jesus has set this man onto a different kind of rest. And so their, their anger quickly turns onto him. They, they can't even stop to consider that perhaps they were wrong. That the ways in which they had been chasing after rest were all wrong. And so to them, Jesus' miracle just becomes another crime that has ruined their Sabbath. But Jesus has a very different idea of Sabbath. And it goes all the way back to the start of Sabbath in, in Genesis, where the Lord blessed the day and made it holy. Before anything was said about what we need to do to keep it holy, it was said that the Lord blessed the day and made it holy. And so for Jesus, Sabbath rest is a gift which only God can give. Not a, a human self-Sabbath, but God's gift Sabbath. And so Sabbath is about resting in what God has done for us. It's receiving rest from God. It's not what, what can I do to get there. God has done it. I simply need to receive Sabbath is there as a reminder that we can stop working and the world will keep spinning. I think some of us need to hear that tonight. I need to hear that tonight. 
we can stop working and the world will keep spinning. Because it's God's world. It's his, it's not ours. The world rests in God's hands. I do mean rest. How could this man rest? How could he experience that rest on the Sabbath? He's suffering, he's in pain, he's likely an outcast from society as a result of that. How can he feel whole? How can he feel complete? How can he feel at rest? He needs Sabbath as a gift. And so Jesus gives that gift. He, he gives him this gift of Sabbath rest and restoration, and he heals him. But note that Jesus' idea about Sabbath rest goes beyond simply physical health. He finds the man again and tells him, your, your rest isn't complete yet. You're not quite there yet. He says, see, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. What is he saying there? I think he's saying that you, you might feel well, you might feel great, but this is not the full Sabbath rest that was promised. You're not there yet. There is a bigger danger on your horizon. Even if we get that, that day off, that, that holiday, that happy retirement, that, that healing from sickness, we still don't get lasting rest. That's what's behind Jesus' warning. That there is something worse standing in the way of eternal, everlasting rest. And that something worse is sin. And it is the eternal suffering that follows on from sin as God's right, righteous response to sin. Remaining under the judgment of God forever is going to be far, far worse than 38 years of pain and illness. To know that you are forever cut off from that ultimate eternal rest. Now we don't know the background here. We don't know anything about this man's life. We don't know what sin he was stuck in. In what ways in his life was he rejecting God? In what ways was he dishonoring God with the way that he lived his life? We don't know, but the call is the same one that echoes all the way throughout the whole Bible. If you want to get to everlasting rest, you're going to have to turn away from your sin. Now, John's gospel is, is focused on, on faith in Christ, on trusting in Jesus, on looking to him and finding life, finding rest, finding salvation, finding forgiveness of sins. But that is, kind of, that is what we are turning towards. But you cannot turn towards Christ without also turning away 
from your sin. You cannot turn back to God while still turning towards all of the things that are offensive to God. Turn to Christ. Trust in him and his saving work on the cross and there find a true and lasting rest, but stop sinning. That has to be a part of this. Now there is a connection here between sin and suffering, or sin and sickness. But we have to be very careful with that. I'm going to come back to Jesus and the Sabbath in a moment, but it's worth exploring this connection that he makes between sin and something worse. Sin and sickness. Because the question that arises from that is, is he implying that this man was disabled because he had sinned? You can see how this is a question that needs answering. Sooner or later, you or someone around you is going to get sick, is going to suffer. And the question will come, is this because of my sin? Huge question, but let me try and give you just three principles, three kind of guidelines that the Bible gives us for answering that question. Is my suffering caused by my sin. First, generally, sickness is because of sin. Generally, sickness is because of sin. That is, sickness and death entered the world in Genesis 3 because sin happened in Genesis 3. Humanity rejected God that seventh day Good creation, completed creation, was disrupted. It was corrupted by sin. And so we have sickness in the world. So generally, yes, sickness is in the world because sin is in the world. That's the first one. Second principle, not every specific sickness is because of specific sin. Not every specific sickness is because of specific sin. Later on in John chapter 9, Jesus meets a man who was born blind. He was blind from birth. And people ask Jesus, is this because he sinned? Or is it because his parents sinned? And Jesus answered, no, neither. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So suffering and sickness are in the world because sin is in the world. And we are all a part of that sin. We all have our own sin. But not every person's specific sickness is a result of their specific sin. There can be other reasons, other things going on here. Including that God is at work in us and through us. So the works of God might be displayed in us. 
And from, from Job to Jesus, there is the, the category in the Bible of those who are suffering, those who are in pain, but it's not because of their sin. And so our first Christian reaction to either our own or, or other people getting sick, it is not judgment, it's compassion. It's like Jesus, to seek to bring a taste of Sabbath comfort and healing to those who are suffering. So generally, sickness is because of sin. Not every specific sickness is because of specific sin. But thirdly, some specific sickness is because of specific sin. Not every time, but sometimes it is. Let me give you a fictional example. Clive and Gary have an argument Clive gets angry. He gets so angry that he decides to get some mates together and go and find Gary and beat him up. Gary is badly hurt. In fact, he's he's hospitalized. And he's left with permanent brain damage. Now, would we not say there that there is some kind of connection between Gary's condition and Clive's sin. That Clive's sin has caused, in some way, it's not the whole picture, but it's certainly at least a part of the picture. Clive's sin has in some way caused Gary's sickness. Or another example, Judy has had a long history of drinking too much regularly drinks, and gets drunk. She's known for it. It continues for many years, and and later in life, she's diagnosed with a liver disease. Again, it seems that there is some kind of connection there between Judy's sin and Judy's sickness. Now, these are deliberately oversimplified examples, and most times life is far more complicated than this. We should always be very careful in trying to state with confidence everything that God is doing in a person's life. But we have to at least ask the question, at least consider that if we are are rejecting the God whose, whose world this is, that then actually what we're doing is we're running face first into the wall of reality, and that is going to result in a lot of pain. God may be gracious and patient, and we may get away with no hurt for a while. Or he might, in that same grace and patience, in a controlled way, allow us a taste of the suffering that our sinful choices unleash in order to wake us up to the real danger of the something worse if we do not turn from sin. As for this man, we don't know if specific sin led to his specific sickness or not. 
But either way, physical sickness is not his biggest problem. Even when he's healed, he still has a danger of something worse than the last 38 years of his life. And as that healing from sickness comes from Jesus, so too he must look to Jesus for his healing from sin. Now let's bring that back to Jesus' idea of Sabbath as God's gift. Jesus shows that he fulfills the Sabbath by being the one whom that gift comes through. That gift of healing for this man and that gift of of ultimate rescue from sin for all who believe in him. He fulfills the Sabbath by being the one who is the center point, the, the way through which restoration comes, healing not only sickness but death and the sin that lies behind death. And so he heals this man on the Sabbath to make it clear that the Sabbath gift of rest comes through him and it is only found by looking to him. And the Jewish leaders, they push back against this. They they can't stand this. And in response, he makes it even clearer in verse 17. He says, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. Now the Jews all agreed that in some sense, God does work on the Sabbath. He's finished his work of creation, but he's still working to keep the world going. On the Sabbath, we still have air to breathe. Our hearts continue beating. Babies are born, rain falls, the sun shines, the plants grow. If we take a day off from work, things tend to be much as we left them when we come back. Because the Lord is still working, even on the Sabbath. He's built things to work that way. So we don't have to be working seven days a week. The Lord blessed the Sabbath day. That is God doing something on the Sabbath day. He is blessing. Because he is at work on the Sabbath, Sabbath is restful for us. That's what the Father's doing, and Jesus claims to be in the same line of work by bringing rest to this man. And they hate that. They hate that because that is a claim to be God, to bring rest as only God can. That is a claim to divinity that he's going to have to defend, and he will in the second part of the chapter. But for now we can say Sabbath is a rest that comes through Jesus and only through Jesus who is God. Working to bless and bring rest. Jesus blessed, so we rest. 
And just as he heals this man as a free gift without being asked, so also he gave himself freely without being asked to secure our eternal rest. The Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ. Everything that it speaks of, he delivers. But where does that leave the actual weekly day of rest? Does it being fulfilled mean we just drop the idea and and carry on working? There are many different views on this. It's quite an intense debate, in fact, longer than we have time for. But I will say this, that I think that there is a wisdom of God in the six-day, one-day pattern. I think there is something helpful there that reminds us that whatever our work is, God can keep the world spinning without us. It humbles us, it helps us to see both ourselves and him in the right way. And I do think that the best way to use that day in the light of what we have seen here is to spend it finding rest in Christ. To, to do the things that help us to look to Christ and find our rest in him. Turning away from our sin and turning to Christ. Reminding ourselves that he is our hope of eternal rest. He is our sure and certain hope. I also think it's great when we're able to do that together as we are doing tonight. This is also a guide for the snatches of rest that we might get on our working days too. That whatever else we we do to rest, whatever kind of hobbies or activities or, or dreams or plans we might try to find rest in, to find ways to keep reminding ourselves that lasting rest only comes from knowing Jesus, from, from trusting in his completed work on the cross. This is the battle for the Sabbath, and it is a battle that we each fight in our own hearts. Will I work for my own rest, or will I rest in the work of Christ, which is finished? Self-Sabbath, or gift-Sabbath. This healed man has had a taste of those two choices. He has encountered the Jewish leaders. He's encountered Jesus. Which will he choose? And sadly, from what we see here, he doesn't seem particularly interested in Jesus. He hands him over to the authorities. Perhaps he's afraid of the Jewish leaders. Perhaps this is actually just another kind of self-Sabbath that he thinks that his life will be more restful if he just gets rid of Jesus, gets gets Jesus out of the picture, gets these people off his back, and then he can go and find rest his own ways. Perhaps this is just another kind of self-Sabbath. And we can already start to see hints of where this story is going. 
Someone who has every reason to be loyal to Jesus betrays him, hands him over to authorities who want to kill him. It's a preview of where things are going in John's gospel, a preview of Jesus' betrayal of his arrest, of his death. But the real gift of God is that this very thing, this very betrayal of him, this very rejection of his Sabbath becomes the way in which he secures our eternal rest. He takes the crushing burden of of our sin, of our, our own failed attempts to find rest on our own, takes all of that and dies on the cross for it, rising again to set us free so that we can rest. And it is on that basis that he invites us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess that we have failed with regard to rest, that we have sought rest in all the wrong places, that we have strived to create our own kinds of rest. Lord, teach us to find it in you, to look to you and receive the gift of eternal rest that is only in you, Son of God. Amen.